Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks Podcast here on Calling App. And my, na- my name is Carolyn, as usual. I am Carolyn, he's your host. And this is the podcast where I talk to film creatives about their work in the industry and their experiences. And, and today I'm joined by the cast. And eventually I'll be joined by the director, one of the directors for the new Canadian um, parody satire comedy. That's what I'm calling it. Um, Revenge of the Black Best Friend, written and created by Amanda Paris. So this is a six-episode series on CBC Gem, and it is hilarious. I laugh from the beginning right up until the end, because if you have watched an, as many Black films or as many Mac Black um, what's this, what's, shows as I have, and not only just Black creative films and shows, but also like any kind of show where Black people are centered or featured as the one you know, what we would say, the token black character. This show just skewers that. It skewers the industry so excellently and so hilariously, beginning with the classic Bring It On in the first episode. That parody had me cracking up because the Clovers and the Toros were changed to the Maroons and the Pioneers. And in previous episodes of Karen Talks, I was speaking to film creatives about their work, about two particular documentaries, Black and Origin Story, and then um, the Chloe Cooley um Canadian Heritage Minute, and both of those documentaries talked about the Maroons or referenced the Maroons and how, like, you know, Black uh, people in Canada have been basically erasing Canadian heritage. So I just love that the show starts with that and it goes straight down into modern day to how Black people are marginalized in the film industry, not only as characters, but as performers and directors and writers as well. So I am joined by Ashton James, Tamika Tafari, Araya Mangesha, and Crystal Rose. And later I'll be joined by one of the directors, Jerome Cruen. But for now, we'll speak to the cast. And I'm going to start with Tamika, and I'm going to have Tamika introduce herself and say what got her introduced um, or interested in acting. And then for the for everyone else, I would like you to say that as well. I like, usually like to begin just like have my listeners getting to know my guests and what interests everyone um, with regards to working in the industry, because I think everyone's introduction to the industry is always different, and we all have different paths to achieving our dreams and our goals. So for Tamika, what was it that for you that made you say, I want to be an actress? Hello, hi. Um, I I started when I was eight. I was like, um, I watched a lot of anime. So when I was watching all the anime, I would pretend to do, I want to do voice acting originally. Um, and then in school, I had to do a play for the outsiders, but it was a group project for my entire class. And they broke us up in groups of three. And I said, you know what? It's okay. I'll do it by myself. Because one thing about me, I just want to be able to get the job done the way I want it to get done. Um, so I did that. And they were like, you should try acting. Like, not, not just, like, with voice. Like, maybe you should try, like, acting on stage or, you know. So I went to George Brown. Had that idea. Went to George Brown. And then I wound up here on your podcast. And now I'm doing that. <laughs> That's what I did. Yay. And next, Araya? Uh, yeah, I'm also a child actor. I started uh, when I was 10. And um, my older cousin, uh, was nine years older than me, she, we, like, she and I, both of our parents weren't together at the time. Uh, it was just like the two of us and our two dads living in a house in Scarborough. And uh, she was acting and decided to switch to directing. But when she decided to switch, an, uh, an agent approached her about signing and she said yeah I don't really want to do that but here meet this kid 
and uh, and that was me. And I did a monologue from uh, The Mask. I played the Jim Carrey character, The Mask, for <laughs> this agent, and it worked out. Um, and then I've been doing it ever since. So now it's been many, many, many years. Um, I kind of caught the bug early. I was one of those super talkative kids. You ask me what a movie's about, and I'm like, well, the movie opens with, and then I would do the whole script from the beginning to the end. Uh, so people learned to stop asking me what, what I thought about movies. Um, and I was, yeah, so when I was a kid, I, I kind of uh, kind of jumped into it and then was fortunate enough to work right away and continue to work. So I was one of the first young Simbas in The Lion King here in Toronto, um, the musical. And then, uh, and then I just kept going. And my parents were cool with it because I was bringing in the bacon so, or whatever other term you want for money. Um, and it just got intertwined with, with, uh, with who I am in a way that, that it's become kind of like my, my life's work. And Crystal. Uh, yeah, sorry if my audio sounds bad. Um, I'm in the car, but hopefully it's not. But yeah, for me, I, I was always interested in it from young, um, as well, like, um, Araya and Tamika mentioned. Um, I think what I really decided that maybe I could do this as a profession is, was in high school. Um, in one of my drama classes, I did a play, a two-person play called Harriet Visits the Therapist. Um, and I played Harriet, and my cousin actually played the therapist. And we just workshopped that play like for months and like the whole process of it and like getting into the character and understanding the character was really really like intriguing to me and we did the play at um I don't know if you guys know Sears Ontario Sears Festival it's like a it's like a it's kind of like a you could say it's a festival a theater festival for like all of Ontario high schools so we entered the play into that festival and we won like a few awards for it. And that, and that kind of just like really solidified that, okay, shoot, maybe I'm, 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 I'm may, I may be good at this. I maybe could do something with this. So that's kind of what it was. Um, and then I went to York University for theater studies, um, but life, you know, took a, took, you know, life does what life does. And I kind of had to step away from um, the industry like from acting all together for a couple years, but it was it was in 2019 where it was just you know when you're just really passionate about something and it just it doesn't leave you alone. And it was in 2019 that I was just really like you know I I really I feel like I really need to get back into this. I don't feel like I'm doing what I I'm called to do. So it was 2019 that I decided that you know I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna push aside everything else that's trying to tell me um, this won't work out and I'm just going to go after it full throttle. And that's kind of what I did. I found my first agent in 2019 and then things just was rolling from then. And that's, that's kind of what I did in terms of acting. And for you, Ashton. Oh man. Um, So it's actually wonderful to hear everyone else's kind of journey. Really, really dope. But for me, I was um, I was born in St. Lucia, so my and my grandmother did theater there, 
And I think as a young kid, I used to like see her do her thing. I used to be like backstage and just like looking at her in awe and just like watch as her and her, her theater group just really like transcended people to different, different worlds in a sense. Like when people were there, they weren't like worried about their rant. They weren't worried about, you know, stuff at home. They were just kind of following the story, laughing and just like really being, being involved. And I think like as a young kid seeing that, I guess also like wanting to be like my grandma, who's, you know, still my favorite actor to this day. But uh, I came to Toronto when I was seven and I just kind of started following what everyone else was doing. I was playing basketball, trying to fit in. I had like this thick accent. Everyone used to make fun of me. And I think I just was, I started trying to fit in. It's not till grade 11. I had like a drama teacher who was like, hey, you kind of, you have a little thing. I remember we did, we did like a little scene in class and a friend of mine was like, yo, I'm a better actor than you. I'm a better actor than you. You know that, right? And we're like, yo, let's go ask. The drama teacher's name was Miss Gagne. We're like, yo, let's go ask Miss Gagne right now. And as we're like marching to the drama office, she just like takes a sharp turn down the hallway. It was the most insane thing ever. And before either of us could say anything, she just looks at me and she just goes, superstar. And she just kept walking. And we just, all my friends, we just started laughing because we're like, we don't even need to say anything anymore. But uh, I ended up going to Humber to study acting for film and television and later went to CFC. Uh, and I don't know, I think like now for me, I heard um, there's a quote at the end of a song that I really like that says, do your research to travel. Go see the corners of the world that are alien to you, that really do interest you. Because in due process, then you'll meet new people. And those people will tell you new stories. Then you become a voice for the voiceless. And for me, that really like sat deep with me. And I think right now I act to a certain degree to want to be a voice for the voiceless. So yeah, that's like the full, I guess, story of that. Yeah, so it's great to hear everyone's story because every all of your experiences are completely different and you guys all became performers through completely different paths and i just love hearing that because like every no one experience is ever the same and even if some people may take the same path like as i said your experience is going to be different you might go to the same school you might go to the same theater company you might work even on the same film sets but like your experiences at these places are going to be different and as we're talking today is we're talking specifically about the black experience in film and television, not only in Canada, but I think also in the North in the North American film industry as a whole. So for all of you, I want you to talk a bit about your experience because as as I said at the beginning, the show, The Revenge of the Black Best Friend, talks explicitly about that because it's talking about the tropes that black people get set into in the film industry. And the thing what a lot of people what I think a lot of people don't realize, and I think it's so ironic to me, is that so many films, so many American produced films, quote-unquote produced films, are actually filmed in Canada. You know, many of them are filmed in Toronto, and then many of them are filmed in Vancouver. And it's, it kind of, like, made me, when I was watching the show, made me realize that we say these are American tropes, but they're not. They're North American tropes because these things, not only because the films are done in Canada, but, like, these are things that, that people experience in Canada themselves you know like you're marginalized in theater you might be marginalized at school but in a theater production you know you might be marginalized as well you are training to become a performer and even in working in a regular job if you were like me what my first job in Canada when I moved here in 2009 
I was at a shopper's drug bar, you know, I worked as a merchandiser and I was still faced like racism and discrimination in various forms through from beginning then to all of my jobs up to what I have now. So for each of you, we need to talk a bit about your experiences and how, um, like when, when you realize that the tropes that we see on screen are very much real, real, and they, and they come from like experiences that other black people have on set. We can we give it to Mika and like we can go in the order that we went to or anyone can jump in when you're ready. Okay. Um, I'll tell you right now, I'm not even going to hold you. I don't know much about film and television being on, um, like most of my experience is in theater. Like most of the experiences that I've had or felt, um, you know, a little, a little, a little, like a stepchild is usually in theater. Because um, mm. Revenge for the Black West Friend, I won't even lie, was the first, like, predominantly Black cast and crew that I've ever worked with. And that experience in and of itself was, was insane. It was so great. And even then, we had, um, we had uh, some issues with my hair because I originally had braids in. And then there was miscommunication, so I didn't get my braids out um, the night before because I thought that it was okay to have them. And then we went on and they were like, oh no, take them out. And I was like, okay, well, bet. But I feel like that entire situation would have been handled completely differently if it wasn't mostly, um, like if it wasn't a black lady doing my hair, you know what mm. I mean? Cause I feel like her pivot was like, she's made me feel safe. She made like where the miscommunication was, we touched upon it immediately because she's like, I'm not, no, I want to find out what happened. Um, and then she still managed to like get it done. Um, so that was, that was something I've never experienced, um, in theater, like with theater and hair. And like, I, w I was classically trained. Um, it's mostly, well, do what the other girls are doing. It's just like, okay, but I got a 4C curl. So how am I going to do this? Um, the answer was like a lot of flat ironing and a lot of, you know, adjusting. Um, and usually I was just like by myself to do it. So I didn't really like talk to anybody. There was no other black girl there to be like, mm, are you doing this? It's like, no, it's like, you're just, you just have to do it yourself and they expect you to do it. And if you don't do it, like there's this whole thing that you could be cut or something. So it's really, you have, you feel like you have no choice, you know? Um, but I felt like in television, specifically Revenge of the Black Best Friend, because that's actually the only one that I can actually like, I, I, I had a character to, that I wasn't a day player for like a second. I actually got a character to play with. Um, that experience was one that I've never, I've never had before, just in acting. So that was awesome. Hmm. Araya? Um, sorry, could you repeat the question one more time? Um, just talk a bit about your experiences um, within, like, for you at beginning in theater and then working as a screen actor. And then, like, how the show kind of parallels that and, like, does, mm. because it does talk a bit about... Well, not even a bit. It talks especially about the tropes that black people get put into, and like for even your character, because your character is in an episode, um, the one who dies called first. the one who the <laughs> one who dies first, and that is literally a trope that black people, black men and women, are literally all usually the first person to die in horror, mm -hmm. and that and like it, it's it's so funny to me that the episode is explicitly about that. You know, it's not just a bit within like an episode it is the entire episode so talk a bit about that and about how the show does bring all of these things to life and plays on it right um yeah so 
like I said, I started when I was a kid, and um, and so I did a lot of I did a mix between theater and film and TV from that age. And then I decided to like get formal education. So I went to an arts high school. Then I went to a, a university program to get classically like theater trained. Uh, and then immediately went to um, like the Stratford Shakespeare Festival and worked inside of like a classical Shakespeare context for a while. Um, and I find that without going into like having to like tell stories about each one, which I could for <laughs> hours, um, I find that in the, in the spaces where it's where like I'm one of the few, if not the only person that looks like me, um, you're just not afforded the opportunity to let your guard down. You know, I've had everything from somebody tell me that I'm being cast in something as a feature, like this is like a scene stealing, you know, show stealing role. And really they just didn't have a black actor to fill that spot. And we're trying to talk me into it um, to voice teachers that have told me to let go of my, my accent or like the way that I approach text because I have that in my back pocket and I can always come back to it. So we're just going to work on other aspects of my voice to try and like make me more um, palatable, I guess, or like fit an aesthetic that they expect um, to literally, I worked on a show as an American production. I won't like name check it because really it could have been any show, um, which was, you know, why we have Revenge of the Black Best Friend to talk about these things where it was a, it was a parody of the horror genre and I was still the first person to die oh, in on. the parody. <laughs> um, and it wasn't even acknowledged. Like, I auditioned for it. Uh, and, you know, when you audition for things, you get sides. So you get scenes that are samples from the script you're going to work on so they can see, like, who's best for the part. And I assumed that there was more once I got cast because I didn't have access to a script, full script, that I would be doing. And then once I got the job and they sent the script, because with TV and especially, you know, we talk about American versus Canadian, American productions are, I think, a little bit more go, go, go um, than Canadian ones can be at times. Um, I, I read it and realized that I didn't have it. And not only did I die, but like, I kind of like died off screen and somebody was just like, oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> like it's a throwaway dialogue. <laughs> Um, so like me being in this episode was very cathartic, you know, it was like getting <laughs> revenge for that character. And I remember being there and feeling it, um, in the, in real time, the like kind of lack of even awareness that they were reinforcing something that they were actually trying to parody, uh, in a lot of ways, or at least they weren't trying to parody that aspect of it. Cause it was so far in the back of their minds or not even in their consciousness that they didn't even think to parody that they just reinforced it. Mm-hmm. Um, we will come back to that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crystal. Yeah, I think for me, um, few. I mean, there's a few things, but one thing that I thought was interesting is that Tamika talked on about the hair issue. I was on another production last year. It was a big. It's it's a big production. Actually, it's a big show. Um, it's American show that they shot here. I was just a a, a day player on it, um, but the makeup, like the key makeup artist, was a a white man, and him doing my makeup. It was very interesting. It was a very interesting experience because he was a key makeup artist, so he stayed in the trailer. He's he did the you know the base makeup and whatnot. 
And then when I was when I was on set, then they had the other like makeup artists on set there to like help set you up. And it's funny because the makeup artist that was on set with me was a black woman, and she kind of looked at my makeup when I came, and she's just like, you know, you know when black women they they look at each other and kind of like sis, mm-hmm. like okay, it's, this, this is not right. She's like, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to fix it for you. But I was there, I was just thinking like, wow, like what if she wasn't there to like fix, like what if she wasn't there to catch that? Like I would have been going on screen looking crazy. Like, a, like how would I have looked on screen if she wasn't there to catch that, to correct whatever she needed to correct? So it's, it's stuff like that where I think is sometimes still in, an an issue especially for black women when it comes to like the hair and makeup thing that for I don't know how it is um on majority American productions but and Canadian productions because I like I said I just really got into the industry in 2019 and then 2020 was kind of a write-off so I'm still very fresh in the industry Mm -hmm. but that was just like one of my first um experiences on a, a big set with the hair and makeup and I've heard it I've heard people um, mention it and complain about about it before with other um, actor friends that have been in the industry longer than me. But to experience it myself was very it was very interesting. Um, so I, when Tamika mentioned that, it just reminded me of that that experience. Um, and and I would say for as of maybe we'll get into this later. I don't know if this is a, maybe a different question. I would say as a as a black woman um in the industry it's getting better but I found a lot of a lot of the times very small ter- stereotypical roles are there for black women there's not a lot of there wasn't a lot of variety and even sometimes in the you know the auditions that I was sent a lot of them were kind of the same like Oh, nurse or mother or you know this type of woman or that type of woman um so that's why I loved that's why I loved about revenge especially um this the episode with the Shakura side squad I love that episode because it showed all different types of black people doing those roles you know the ghostbuster the buffy all that stuff that you normally don't see black people in those types of roles it's like we have to be pigeonholed to play a certain type of thing. So I love that episode because it kind of showed that, no, like we could play whatever we want to play and it's going to be just as interesting and we're going to bring just as much depth to the character as we want. So um, I do think it's getting better, though, for sure, especially in Canada. And, you know, we have shows like The Porter, for example, which is another show that's on CBC's Gen that I think is also going to be opening a lot of doors. Um, but there's there's a lot of work to do still um and yeah and I think that's also why I've also been pushing to kind of create my own my own things as well and big up to people like Amanda Paris and stuff that are doing this creating their own narratives for sure so yeah that's what I would say oh we will definitely get on what the other second question you mentioned because it does tie into another like one of the things I love about the show is that each episode touches on something very specific that we can all like kind of expand on and that you can kind of share your experiences on. 
And but before we get to that, for Ashton, for you, same question for you. What was like? What are the parallels of the experiences that you've had that the show touched on, and you were just like, "Oh wait, this is so true, and this is very true to life." Yeah, um, I think <laughs> it's 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 interesting because I was as everyone was talking, I was like trying to tap into my own own connections to the stuff, and specifically to the character that I played. And I was thinking, for me, I feel like I haven't been in the industry so long where I've I've experienced having to, like, take jobs that you don't want to do or take auditions that you don't want to do just because, like, you know, this is all that's out there. I remember I was listening to an interview that Robert Townsend did, and he was like, he was part of a soldier story, I believe. And he was telling his agent, like, yo, I want to do all, this is the type of movies I want to do, these type of roles I want to do. And his agent was like, well, yo, you just did the one black movie that they make every year. Like, be grateful with that and now go do, like, you know, go do something else because these don't come around so often. And to sit here now, you know, and, like, to to reminisce or think back on, like, the auditions I get and, like, the type of stuff that I get to do. I think in 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 that aspect it is a bit different for me in my experience so but it's like also when you're just starting your career and you're doing things and you're working on projects the, the idea that you're going to watch it and not be in it is like cuz you know you're not in like the roles that you have aren't so prominent to the point where you're like oh yeah they definitely can't cut me out there's like you're always watching a thing going, oh, okay, here it comes, here it comes. And to make sure that what you did is is there. Um, I've, it's, I've worked on, I feel like this was like the first Canadian project that I got to do, which is so weird to me because I live here. But all, like a lot of American productions I've been on, I've, I'm also like, I feel like my agent and I were like bullies in the sense where I'm like, yo, if they're going to mess up my hair, mess up my face, like, let me know right now, like, who's there and what can they do? Like, let me see some photos because I went on a set once and it's like, this is like the reoccurring theme, it seems, between all of us or most of us is like when it comes to like hair and makeup. I was on a set recently though with this woman. I was like, I went and I'm like, yo, do you have like an alcohol that I can spray on my face because they wanted to cut off all my facial hair? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. So she gives me something to shave my face. I do it or whatever. Yeah. I come back and I'm like, yo, like, yeah, you have the alcohol? She's like, yeah, yeah I, I don't have the alcohol, but I have this thing. And she pulls out like some like, Gillette thing. And I'm like, bro, what are we doing? And she goes, okay, I'm going to put this on and make sure it doesn't sting. If it stings, let me know. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, I, I think I messed up. Like, <laughs> this is not going to go well. I've been cutting my hair since I was like a young kid and every single time it has stung. So for you to sit here and tell me it's not supposed to sting, I was like, oh, okay, this is, and surely enough, the next day I woke up and my face was like, had like all these razor bumps and it, it was a mess. So in this, but like in that sense of, you know, connections to things in the show, I think specifically for me, like the main one was like Araya's uh, episode, episode three, just to like, you know, that, that idea of, also dying first, but also like not being part of something in in a real way, kind of just being there to to support a trope or support a certain type of stereotype or a certain type of thing where you're looking at it going, what does this, like, how does this character serve this thing at all? 
But I will say I find that because of like, you know, the work that people have done before and even that like within this show now, the work Amanda and everyone is doing, it's kind of, you know, really making people look at what they're creating and how they're creating it, which is in turn, I think, back to my original point of the auditions I do get and the projects that I do get to to kind of go out for and, and attempt to be a part of. Mm. Yeah, hearing you talk about the, the 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 whole experience of the razor bumps, like ooh, that just made me. I was just like, oh no, this is a nightmare, you know? Yeah, yeah that's like, crazy. Yeah, like we are like that's the thing, right? Um, what a lot so many people don't understand is like for black people, our hair, our skin, you can't treat it any way. You know, we can't use the same products that white people or even people of Asian descent use you know because like products are made for people with straight hair they're not made for people with kinky hair you know for mm-hmm. all the different textures and curl patterns that black people have with our hair kind of like uh, Tamika mentioned and both you also Crystal mentioned like for black women in particular there's so many obstacles just with regards to getting proper um, treatment with like our for our hair and our skin color and our makeup because they we have there there've been interviews where like big actresses like Viola Davis you know and Taraji P Henson and like Tiffany Haddish and other actresses have spoken about they they're on sets so they're doing their own makeup and their own hair you know these are multi million dollar productions and it's not like doing having someone there someone experienced with black hair and black skin on set is not a priority for creatives and it doesn't matter whether it's in Canada or in North America it's just it just shows that black people aren't a priority you know and even if it does even if you're a big name star like you have to be able to you, you are having to do your own hair and makeup that's absurd and one of the reasons is because um we talk about marginalization for actors and performers but also they don't like to credit or give licenses to black hair technicians and makeup artists because like they they, they only recognize people from specific schools you know and who have a specific backgrounds and you only have that background because if you go to a school, uh, a beautician school, that's one run by white people with beauticians who are experts of doing makeup and hair for, for white people, right? They don't like to like like give license to black women who are professional um, hair braiders, you know, professional hair sites because they were trained, whether at home or by an organization or a school that's not recognized by the governing bodies in the film industry. So that's another roadblock that that people are still facing in the industry right and that and it does affect your work because i like as like as crystal was saying like something you said made me think with the thing with the thing with film and tv is your face your body like the way you pre- you're presented on screen is your calling card you know exactly. like a casting director a director will look at your um will look at a screen test that you did you know they'll look at your your reel and they'll say oh wait her makeup doesn't look right and even though they're not thinking that the makeup artist is the person at fault what the makeup artist did is going to reflect negatively on you as the performer right yeah that changes stuff for us and especially it's so funny to me it's like you go train for something you're in school for something and you don't feel like like how do, like i when i have to go to a set i have like this deep anxiety about like having to make sure i'm perfect or make sure i can come and support this thing in a real way you as a like you have a job you're going to come to a set and not be prepared to deal with everyone in the world you only have a specific type of person you can handle mm-hmm. like it just also speaks to like you know how certain people can move through the world and how we can't we're not afforded that same luxury to 
come to a set and not be fully equipped. It's it's quite outrageous. No, you guys, exactly. you guys got to turn up and you got to be on point, which is something like as again, like the show, like I think Amanda did such a fantastic job getting so many um, references into the show. Um, like talk for Araya, like your episode, the one who dies first. It, that there's so much in that. Like we talk about it, we talked about how black people in in the horror genre in particular are the first to are the first to die. But then, like when you look at the casting for this episode in particular, and I think for other episodes because it happened in um in the sassy black best friend episode, there Crystal, Crystal, she's playing Mercedes, which I thought <laughs> hilarious because if you watch Glee, you know that her character Mercedes is one that kept being silent even be even though there it was. No argument that she was the most talented singer of the bunch. But when you look at the casting, like for just for the background actors, there is one Asian female character, right? Which is what happened with Glee. With Glee, you had Tina. And then there was also the male character, forgive me for not remembering his name, but he was favorite Harry Shu Jr. That I do remember. But in Araya, your episode, there is one female Asian character too, right? So it kind of shows you, and, and mm. that is something so particular about Canadian TV. When I first moved here and I was watching a lot of Canadian TV, I realized you, you, there's always the one black character, one Asian character, one Southeast Asian character. Or if, you know, if they're, if they're East Asian, that's, that's the Asian. If they're Southeast Asian, that's the Asian character. You know, like there is always we call it the token um, person of color, and and I this, and for your episode, um, the one who dies first touches on that. As so does the sassy black best friend once he moves into the Glee parody, but then also in um, Tamika's episode, never the hero. I love how that it kind of switches around because it like takes all of the token black characters from horror genre, from sci-fi and supernatural, and like these were all characters that were put in to one episode so that they could all say mm. so for all of you i want you to talk a bit about just for your experience just from your perspective as performers about the token character in uh, film and tv and then also and how the show kind of like flips all of those tropes on their head and we can begin with araya um yeah i, I just wanted to add one thing about that hair and makeup thing before i forget yeah, sure. um is that that it's it's really incredible to watch you know i say a lot of times i'm in my 30s now that because the the uh the climate is different and the approach to the conversation around diversity is different than it was you know when i was in my 20s i've kind of got like this like i'm doing my 20s over again in my career um <laughs> because like it really does feel that way like i've you know blessed by my east african genetics to still have a bit of a baby face come on now um <laughs> and uh and i'm going back in and it's 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 really interesting to re-experience the like these auditions going out to sets doing these roles um in a different climate and like just me as an older person who like can navigate the space differently because in my 20s when i arrived on a set I can't even tell you the amount of times when somebody would just, I'd walk in the hair and makeup, they would just look at me, throw a little bit of powder on me and be like, yeah, you're good. Mm-mm. Because they didn't know how to deal with me. They saw me and they were like, oh, we don't want to mess this up. And then they would just like be like, yeah, you're fine. And so like I, I went through it a number of times. And like you said, your, your face is your, is, your, is your money in a lot of ways. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you shoot is not just the job you're doing now. That's going to end up on your demo reel, which is going to be your calling card for the next job. Uh, and the amount of times I would watch myself and go, wow, I don't look like the other people. 
like I'm glistening and everybody else looks <laughs> like fantastic. This is, this is not, this is, not, this is not okay. <laughs> I mean, I want to shine, but this is yeah. a little bit much. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Like now I still get that sometimes, but now I'm equipped. I got my kit with me. Somebody will like, but isn't like, yeah, that crazy though that you, that you have to bring a kit to set? It is absolutely crazy that that's the case. Um, and in some ways, even when people are trying hard, you'll have people that are now, um, let's say a production has not hired somebody um, who is capable already. They'll have done like some training with them prior to the production starting. But that person's still basically just learning on my head or on my face, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. often my yeah. head is, is where it's at. Um so like you just always, I'm always just ready, and it goes back to like what Ashton said and what I mentioned earlier about us not being afforded the opportunity to not have our guards up. You know, yeah. you can't just walk in and do the job. You have to be aware that at some point someone's gonna say something that's gonna give you that little jab. Yeah, you need to be prepared to like um, take that and either like respond in a in a way that is professional and allows you to you know create the space that you need to work. Um, or have like a mechanism for dealing with it on your own so that it doesn't affect the work. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, that said, uh, back to your, your, your question. Um, yeah, these tropes, they, it, it's interesting. I, I, when I get hired for something, I, I usually look in the script and be like, am I alive? <laughs> oh, yeah, I live. I made it. <laughs> uh, because often uh, I'm, I'm, I die. <laughs> I die or I'm getting shot or I just kind of like disappear. Um, and I mean, maybe it's not fair to say often, but it has, has happened a lot. And, uh, and to see this, uh, this reflection of the, like the checkbox and how that's changed. Yeah. We got the, like, it needs to reflect the mosaic, the cultural mosaic of the country in a lot of ways. So you got Mm -hmm. people that are just dropped in so that at least people can see someone that looks like them. Um, often that doesn't mean that that person is given the opportunity to, um, to actually watch a reflection of their experience, um, and just more gets to like, just see a person that looks like them. Mm. Um, and that, that is something that I think is still being worked through. Um, I think that like, there's a way in which like things have changed to a degree where the, the call out culture is high and and uh the powers that be are aware of that so from like strictly a pr and like financial standpoint they're like they're making efforts for it to not appear as though that's a thing um but i don't know like to me things are changing but there is a way in which it's like they're it's like dragging your feet forward instead of taking confident strides or trying to run um and I think the more of us there are and the more projects like this um, that are put out and, uh, and are viewed by people, they set a standard. And it's hard to, to come back from something once there's a precedent set. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we're moving forward in a direction where you won't just see people that look like us, but you'll get to experience them as well. Mm, and for mm. Tamika and Crystal? Are you still there? Oh. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm listening. I'm chilling. Um, I actually like. I, I what it is is I just I didn't have much to weigh in on this one. Um, can you repeat the question? 
Mm. So for you, for as you 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 have said that this is the first role where in your episode never the hero where you really got to be on set and your character is like a full character and as i said like it's not only i don't only want your perspective as a performer but also as someone who may who watched a lot of tv a lot of canadian tv and you realize that how the show and the characters your the characters that you're playing are mm. flipping the tropes themselves you know like for your episode never the hero you are literally you're literally playing a character who is a trope in so many other productions but this time you're a trope but you're a trope with a purpose if you know what I mean and like your whole purpose is to say like we exist um here you know we 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 can do these things and the funny thing with your character like I, that yeah. I love and it's so subtle is like he starts talking in this weird Jamaican accent and the thing and the thing is like anyone who has watched so many North American productions, supernatural productions, where you there's a black a black female character, she's always either Jamaican or mm-hmm. she's some in this from uh, she's African, but it's never said which country in Africa she's from. You know, mm-hmm. like where is she is she Ghanaian, is she um Eritrean, is she like Nigerian, you know, is she from where is she? Is she from the Middle East? Like like you know, but like they don't they don't give like these characters like a, an identity and your character is like I have an identity and I love what um Tony Shakur her character is like, girl, talking your natural accent. We're talking this Jamaican accent and you know they do it because like if they're a, a she's a mystical creature, she's a mystical character, so she gotta put yeah. on some kind of big Jamaican pathway. Like your character is a, a, a flip the trope literally flips a trope within the dialogue itself because you stop talking the accent but so we talk about so you in can in a lot of canadian productions um there's always the one black character you know one asian one southeast asian like there is the token black character and so for you like being able to play this character which is like saying like no we are not tokens we do we can have a purpose if you give us a purpose as writers and as creatives and watch and what doing that and then watching like your the history of television and working in this industry now like what's your perspective on that um my perspective thank you for repeating that by the way no no problem but my perspective coming in, um, knowing that there is just going to be, there are going to be tokens, um, two things. One, with going to theater school, I was the only, I was the only black girl, you know, I graduated thinking I was the only black actor in Canada. I did. <laughs> but like, I also just didn't want no, I don't know, I was raised to like, just, I don't want no problems. It's one love. Like, I don't want no issues with nobody. So like Araya, I bring my kid, I got my hair, I do my own hair. Um, because I don't want just anybody picking, picking, picking my head. Um, and I just, in theater school, I rode the, I rode the, the trope um, of just being the black girl. And I was like, you know what? Fine. But what you're going to do, you're going to put me in the center so that people can see me. I know y'all can't cut me because you have no one like me. I know that I'm going to be on all your leads because you ain't got, you know what I mean? I'm just like, if that's the game you want to play, like I can play this game and I'm just going to, I'm just going to ride it. Moving into television, I realized that like a lot of things are kind of the same in um, the sense that, yeah, sometimes you'll be just the only one, but sometimes you won't. Um, which is new and I like I don't know I really I really I really my approach to all of it was a lot less um I hate that I'm the trope or anything but since that I was doing this by myself like no one else in my family acts like no one does any of this 
So like, I was just like, well, I have to find the path of least resistance. So I just kind of conformed into it, which is actually messing up with um, like finding my own integrity with acting now. So doing the role as um, in the black best friend as the person who speaks up and like uses her actual accent and has a fake accent, has a whole fake persona that she has to put on because her her watcher told her to do it, um, was cathartic for me. It was it was it was a break for Tamika to be like, you know what? I know how to play your game. I play it better than you, but I don't want to play this game anymore because I'm not trying to play games. Like this is my life. So I I really liked like doing that character was huge. And also watching it, they're usually Jamaican in character and um they like Jamaican accents, but nobody knows how to do a Jamaican accent because nobody yeah. wants to hire no damn Jamaican. <laughs> but um, many a time have I sat with my aunties like, that's not even the accent. Where are they from? Like, you know, um, so it was, it was nice. It was, it was it was blessed to play a character that actually had a terrible accent. And all I wanted out of anything, going to take anything away. I wanted the character's accent to be atrocious. I wanted it to be absolutely diabolical <laughs> shake you in your soul you know what i mean <laughs> like, i wanted it to make you sick throwing up but like i'm glad that i did that and then i got to be myself after um because that was the first time like dead ass that i was myself on screen with other black people and i i mm-hmm. i that that was a big moment it was a big moment for me personally and it was a big moment for like the the child inside of me that that saw so many people absolutely bastardizing her accent and her people, the, the beautiful Jamaican nation. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was really great to, um, to do. Yeah, that's my answer. And Crystal? Yeah, um, what I loved about my episode, The Sassy Black Friend, wasn't so much to do with um, necessarily the industry itself, but to me, it spoke to, like, experiences that I just experienced outside of the industry, especially a lot of black people can attest to the fact that you have, you're abiding for a role or you're working in a role, whether whatever the industry is, and you know, you're good at what you do. You may even be the best at what you do, but oftentimes you might be overlooked because of your, the color of your skin, the way you look as you're a woman because of whatever reason. And that scene with Mercedes and Rachel and, you know, Rachel's coming and she's, she's, you know, showing off in front of the class, but she's not hitting the note, but yet she thinks she's like the top dog of everything. And it's just like, and Mercedes comes like, when am I going to get my chance to prove myself? And the immediate shutdown, oh, you know, you're good, but you don't have, you don't have this, you don't have the range, you don't have this skill, you don't have that skill, but how do you know? I was never given a chance. And so that scene really, um, that really spoke to me um, just in general for what a lot of um, black people or people of color tend to go through sometimes um, in, our, in our North American society, in Toronto, in Canada. Um, and it was very validating and it was like, Again, the, the name of the show is perfect. It was like a revenge moment when I was able to then prove myself that no, I can do, I can do this. I can sing this note. And not only can I sing this note, I can sing it way better than you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
I just needed a chance. And then seeing um, um, Dr. Tony Shakur come in and then kind of pluck me out of that mess and just like, are you ready to make your Broadway debut or whatever? It was also a beautiful moment because to me, it spoke to how oftentimes it's our own that gives us those chances and opens up the door. You know what I'm saying? Like Amanda Paris creating this show and then hiring mainly um, all black and um, BIPOC cast and crew for it. Um, to give us the opportunity that a lot of other productions or, sh- or you know, may not have given. So I really, I really, I think that sh- that episode really resonated with me because I've definitely been in positions just outside of the industry where people just probably didn't think I could do the job because, and didn't want to give me a chance to do the job. But once I was able to prove it, they were because they never gave me the opportunity, you know? So... Yeah. You just touched on something that I was going to mention next, and that's advocacy and advocating for your own self. And that's, again, a a through line through all the episodes. And the thing, um, as performers and as anyone living in North America, like for us black people, we for anything for us to work for us for ourselves we have to advocate for ourselves no no one we people are gonna be like i'm an ally but i'm like really are you are you really gonna stand up next to me or stand in front of me and like take the heat you know are you gonna speak up for me are you going to like advocate for me to have to be treated better um as a as a student to be treated better as a co-worker to be treated better as a person and for you and for you guys to be on set to be treated better on set like who was good who like you have to advocate for yourself like for like for you, um, like you, if you want, like, I was gonna say, if you want better makeup and better hair, like to some people that may seem trivial, but for us, it's not trivial at all. Like it is like part and parcel of being a performer. Like the job entails how you look. Like your your looks matter. But then, like, as I mentioned before, like that's not a priority for anyone else on set. And you're like thinking, if you if I'm on your production, you should want me to look at the best I can be. You know with regards to, like, whatever is called for the role, but, like, you're not advocating for that for me. Like, for, like, you all mentioning, walking with your own kit, that you, that's not, should not be, you know? Like, that's what the production budget is for. But it's not prioritizing the production budget. Um, getting roles, that getting proper roles, that like you'll be like, your agent is, like, that's what your agent is for. But you'll be like, I have to make sure that the cast that the the work that I'm going for is gonna edify me and be a and be a boon to my um career and also it's just be just to me as a as a person, you know, like the kind of roles you're one like one thing all of you are talking about is how being able this show is kind of a a catharsis for all of you because it gave you a chance to in a roundabout way voice like um issues that you have with the with the industry whether it's for is past or present you know like Araya talking about playing a character who has died first and like being on a set where the people producing the same story doesn't realize that they're perpetuating the same stereotypes that they say that they're calling out and it's like that shows you how the industry is so blind to the same problems that they're talking about you know like how are you going to say that you're producing of a, a project where you're skewering um, the fact that black people get killed off first when you're not even being cognizant of 
of the fact that you are literally killing off the black character first, right? It's like it doesn't it doesn't jive, it doesn't work. But it's like black people for you, like you guys have to make sure that you speak up for yourselves. And um and with regards to advocacy, like the show kind of talks a bit about that. It, like talk, it shows like Tony plays <laughs> for Brennan but Ulanike is like, I'm gonna be your advocate. I'm gonna teach you how I'm gonna speak up for you, but I'm also gonna teach you how to speak up for yourself. And the thing, one thing that I think is done so well is like um how when you're speaking up for yourselves, like people are gonna be like, Oh, you have to make sure you don't offend the people. You know, you don't offend like the directors or the writers because they'll never hire you back. And it's like, I'm the one that's hurt, you know, but I'm supposed to still be like looking out for, I'm supposed to be still considering the feelings of the person who hurt me. And it shouldn't be, but that's unfortunately the world we live in. And um, from my own experience as a film, as a film critic and as a journalist, like, I'm always being, I, I always kind of second guess myself and I'm going to say anything um, in twi- on Twitter, on Instagram, during an interview, or even when I'm writing an article, I um, always say, I'm always second guess myself. Like, do I want to be as um, cutting with my with my critique as I as I want to be? You know, um, I like you know, do I have to modify my speech when I'm speaking to people? And like, this is just something that as a black as black people, like so many people who aren't us don't understand how much we have to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, monitor our own selves you know we're monitoring ourselves and we're still monitoring other people because we got to read other people's body language we're watching like is what i'm saying offensive offensive to someone else even if it's the truth you know even if you know for a fact that what you're saying is the god's honest truth you're still thinking is this person going to take offense because they don't want to acknowledge the problems and for all and for all of you i um oh wait hold on my phone is starting to that weird okay um for all of you, I want you to talk a bit about um, just advocacy in the industry and how you as performers use your own work as a way to advocate for yourself and also advocate for other people. And I think this project does a really good job. I didn't think Amanda was so smart to actually give performers like you a chance to speak directly to the industry without it having to be you. Like you're using your characters as avatars to talk to the industry and say, yeah, this is a problem and it needs to be dealt with. So for anyone who'd like to go first, that you can you talk a bit about just advocating for yourself as performers and using your art to do it for you? Um, I can start. Um, I've found that like recently what I've been doing is if I get hired to come onto a project um, and I, you know, I just recognize that you have to have like, <clears throat> I think like a certain amount of um, screen time where you can ask for this, but I've, I've started to have conversations with showrunners on things before getting started on the show at all. Um, and where we're going to, we're going to have a conversation around my character. We're going to have a conversation around what the, what the arc is going to be because I may not be privy to where the character is going um, when I get hired, but I want to hear their thoughts more than like how much screen time am I going to have? It's how are they thinking about this character? How much, um, how much of this character and the world they've actually like fleshed out from like this person's perspective and what's expected of me? Um, and that's led to some fruitful conversations because it allows them to speak and it allows me to um, then get to a place where I'm advocating before there's an issue. I'm advocating before 
I'm now having to like respond to well, actually this isn't really my experience or this thing is problematic. Um, we're getting into conversations really early and that has made it a lot more comfortable for me to then come on to set and feel like we're collaborating and have less of my guard up. Um, the other way is like, uh, you know, I think it was Crystal earlier saying like, we got to make our own stuff. So uh, like recently I made a short film with my, my roommate, uh, she and I, made a film that was about called defund it was about defunding the police and we had our world premiere at tiff and we've got a whole lot of love and all this stuff that's come out of it um that that came from us saying you know what we're gonna write our story we're gonna write it and we're gonna place it in a perspective that is outside of the um the narrative that is sort of like not allowed but has taken up most of the space in the media um, in particular, when it comes to defunding the police and police violence, um, we wanted to position it in a way where we weren't um, going to depict the violence on screen. We weren't going to like go at it from a perspective that was about showing, uh, displaying our trauma necessarily, but about how what the effects of that trauma are for those of us that are just like at home, for those of us that see you know, this almost constant cycle of, of, of footage of people who have been attacked, of these traumatic events that we have to absorb and, and, and uh, how we process that and how we contribute to, to shifting that so that we're not constantly inundated with these traumatic images and these things are no longer taking place. Um, and it, it gave us an opportunity to both, like, speak to, like, our truths to ask the questions that we want to ask and put that out into the into the world, and um, and to know that we were doing that in a way that felt safe, where we weren't having to second guess somebody's intentions around it, where somebody's even at the very base level of people having good intentions, you know, we work in a space, and I think that's part of what this show does really well is that it also self-examines, you know, when people are telling these narratives, our narratives especially. Um, you're putting it out into like a commercial space. You're making money. Um, so where there's a social responsibility inside of that, there's a contract and like you're, you're going you're gonna to benefit from, this, from these traumas, from our collective shared um, fight to, to, to shift this sort of like white supremacist system. So what does that mean for you? You know, you and, and if it's somebody that doesn't look like us that's trying to tell these stories, then it has to be like, well, what are you really trying to get out of this? You know, there's been a lot of attention around a particular person who won a Canadian Screen Award, who was a white producer, who said that there are so many black Canadian stories to be told. It doesn't matter who tells them. And there was a lot of pushback to that, as there should be, because it does matter. It very much matters who tells these stories. Um, and the fact that somebody can get on a stage at an award show and feel like they can say that statement and would uh, and that statement would be appreciated and celebrated just tells you how much work there is to do to uh, to to <laughs> that that somebody should be sweating before they say that, <laughs> not expecting applause. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, Ashton and Tamika. <laughs> Like Raya, I think it's like taking space to, you know, to, I guess to be, to be present 
and, and understanding, like he was saying, how you're part of something and how that moves. And for me, that comes down to like, even when I'm like saying yes to wanting to audition for something. I remember there was an audition that got sent to me. <laughs> it's just, it got sent to me and I was like, uh, this is a little, I'm not really sure about this. And the casting director was like, oh no, we'll send you the whole script. It's, it's not as da, 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 da. I read the whole script and it was worse. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. And then he was like, oh, like, you can have a conversation with the director. They're, they're like very open to like thoughts. And I'm like, guys, this is happening because I'm trying to decide if I want to audition. There's no way I want to now do the audition, get the job and come on set and have to be your personal, hey, like your personal meter of if this is too much, if this is okay, if this is not. And I think it, it's just really about taking care of ourselves and in turn, like having conversations with, with the people around us, like a few of my friends ended up getting the audition. And before they even got it, I had already hit their phones up like, yo, this is what I just got. Can you guys believe this? So by the time it came to them, they're already like talking to their team about it. Like, don't ever send me this again. So I think it just comes down to trying to, to take care of ourselves and, and pushing for, and having those conversations, even though sometimes they might be uncomfortable to and then knowing that because I, I haven't seen that casting director since they haven't brought me in so and it's you know it's like to me i'm also going if that's the type of stories that you're trying to tell and want to tell then i'm good on that i think they ended up losing their money anyway but like you know it's just to to see the projects that are out there and the things that people are doing and you know like Arias said to create your own stuff you know i'm I'm not of I'm not a brilliant mind as he is in that sense, so I'll just champion his stuff and you know try to to push it in that sense. But I think you know every I, I yeah, this this is a yes yes to everything you said, but also you know just advocating and standing with with your people and 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 knowing that and just trusting that you know what I'm saying. I think trusting that and knowing what type of stories it is that you want to tell and be a part of. Mm. Word. I just want to add like a cosign that power of no. Like, that's mm -hmm. the biggest, as actors, like, strictly in that space, that's our biggest power, is our ability to say, no, I will not put myself out for that, which yeah. is harder to do, and, like, in the beginning, especially, because it feels like every audition is, like, an audition for another audition, which they kind yeah. of always are, and, like, you know, whether or not you're willing to maybe cut ties with casting directors that might, you know, take things personally, but... The power of no just lets people, it tells people what you're about. Mm -hmm. It lets them know early, okay, he's not going to be down for that. She's not really going to come in for that. We won't reach out for those yeah. things. Um, but also collectively, if a lot of us are saying no to the same thing, it means that they're no longer going to be trying to hire people to do those things because they won't expect that they can actually get people <laughs> in the room yeah. to audition for it. And that's another way in which these things shift. Um, a, a similar thing happened with a, uh, a project that was going around recently and I, I, it became like a network thing where everybody was like, yo, did you get this one? Did you get this one? You got this one? <laughs> All right, we're shutting that down. <laughs> and then everybody just said, no, uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be somebody that will take that yeah. job. And while I say the power of no, there's also no judgment if you say yes. 
right? Everybody's path is their path. And, you know, the way in which, you know, it, it's, it's a hard industry. It's already tough for us to, to kind of break into it. It's tough for anyone, especially us, to break in and, like, turn it into a career. So it's not a judgment if someone takes a role like that. Um, but if it sits inside of your politic or your heart where this is not something that you can do with confidence or be proud of when you see it on the screen, because it will live forever somewhere now, yeah. um, then that no is really the most affirming thing. We have so little control as performers that that's where you really do have have some control. Yeah, I don't begrudge it's anyone. Even in, in yeah, I don't begrudge that. anyone getting into saying yes either. Like bills got to be paid, food got to be bought. Like you know, like yeah. we don't, we we don't we don't survive off of air alone, and and mm-hmm. just the power of exposure, as they say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna get ready to wrap up. So um, for for all for the three of you, is there anything that you want to say um bef- just before we wrap up? Yeah. Um. Actually, on the topic that we were yeah. just on. With, yes, power of no, love that. I actually said no to my first callback, and that was interesting, but felt good, felt good. Um, Just as Canadian actors, and this is something that I saw a lot in Revenge of the Black Best Friend, but specifically Thug Race, (laughs) our sweet king of the North, who I hold, (laughs) I wish he was here, like I hold dear to my heart because I actually love the Toronto man's accent. I don't care who wants to at me. Um, I actually stand by it. And I feel like so many actors, specifically Canadian actors, are always told that, like when I was coming into the business, they were like, listen, you actually can't say no. You're not an actor, you're an auditioner. And that's what they like drilled into us. They also drilled in okay, so you're going to have to learn a whole new accent because what these people don't want is your Canadian twang. And to which I always said, I'm like, do I, I, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't, I don't know what it is. And so after doing some research and having American friends, they're like, yeah, you sound Canadian. And, I'm, and I think to myself, why, what is the problem with that? Because there's so many other accents on TV that we're kind of diversify everybody's skin you can't diversify the voice. And that's one that um, actually, it takes me out sometimes because I watch something and then I know, like if my friend's on something and I know that they're Canadian, I know where you're from, I know everything, but then you're speaking in an accent that is not even actually specific American, it's just general, um, because they just don't wanna hear the sound. And that that always takes me um that always took me out. But for Revenge of the Black Best Friend, I actually enjoyed hearing the diversity of voice and just the different sounds that we make. Because some Canadians do sound a bit more southern or a bit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's nice. It was really nice to hear hear that. And I usually, whenever I do anything with like voice work or anything um, on on film, I always ask them, like, is it okay if I just have my accent? Like, what's what's the harm in this? Um, will it actually, does it actually affect the character completely? Is there a reason? Um, and if there isn't, I try and stick to that because I would love to hear people that also sound like me um, out there because not everyone's American. Um, yeah, but so that was on my mind and now it's not. Okay. <laughs> and um, and for you, for uh, like, cause is um, do you want to say anything about just like you? Well, you did say talking about saying no to your first callback. So yes, the power of no. 
Um, but I think that's great because saying no is also very scary because you think that that's, that, that means that you're permanently closing a door, you know, like you're saying, oh my God, you're thinking in your head, well, this is my, my own thing. I sense that I say no, I decide not to do something. I'm just like, oh my God, did I just ruin my career? Does this, does this, will this ever prevent me from yeah. doing another interview or whatever? But no is scary, but it is very powerful. And it is, it is within our rights to say no. And I think it's just so wrong that we, that especially in the entertainment industry, that black people are have been made to feel like saying no um is wrong you know when it's not like like you're you should be able to say no without feeling like you'll face like dire consequences from it so i am proud of you for saying no for because you're sticking up for yourself and if you feel something's not right for you then it's not right for you and you shouldn't force yourself to do something <laughs> you don't want to do so yay for you yay <laughs> yay, yay. Um, um so i think it's so, um, we're gonna close out also for um is there anything else that you guys want to say before we close out not for me thank you for uh bring, bring for inviting us in here and uh for creating space to talk about this show really appreciate it Yes, and thank you so much for joining me. This was this was great. I wish we could have done it in person. Maybe one day I'll get to meet you guys in person. I have not been on a film set in in a long time, um, <laughs> long time. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time for speaking with me today. Um, for everyone listening, and for those who will be listening after this is recorded and published, this is another episode of Carolyn Talks podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Hines. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram with the with the handle at Carrie CNH12, that's A-R-I-E-C-N-H-12. I am a Rotten Tomatoes approved film critic, journalist, podcaster, and YouTuber. I do it all. Um, you can find my published work in my Linktree account, and my most recent work is usually in my pinned tweets. I am always on Twitter talking about film, TV, um, thirsting, <laughs> anime, comics, all kind of things. Um, this will be published within a couple days of recording, and, I, and, and you can also find my other podcast so here's what happened with my co-host Alicia Campbell on butwhythepodcast.com as well as my Asian drama podcast drama beyond the romance <laughs> drama podcast as well as my my Saturday night sci-fi and dramas with Carrie by tweets um for the for those of you I know Tamika is not on Twister um Twitter what am I saying Twister uh, it's not on Twitter <laughs> uh, for Araya and Ashton would you like to tell the people where they can find you on social media mm-hmm. um Twitter my handle is at uh underscore rye underscore uh a h r y e a h just to get the pronunciation right from my name and um on instagram at call me mr tibbs ah, call mr tibbs, tibbs. Mm. and for you ashley where can the people find you on the twitter sphere um i think my twitter handle is ashton james underscore or maybe it's two underscores i don't know and um my <laughs> Instagram is Ashton M. James. Just, you know, my, my name. My name. My name is my name. Hey. I hear that. I don't have Twitter, by the way, but I do have Instagram. Oh, there you go. Um, so two dash it, two underscores, T-Y, three M's. M as in the down. There we go. That's Great. it. It's the only place you can There you go. So that's where you can find them on Twitter and Instagram. And um, for Crystal, she had to dip out early, but I thank I thank her and appreciate her for taking the time to join us and talk a bit about her um, her experiences and working on the show. And I think, as I said at the beginning, as we've been saying, it's called Revenge of the Black Best Friend. You can watch it 
on CBC Gem. It was written and created by Amanda Paris. It is hilarious. It's six episodes, and each episode is less than um, 15 minutes long. But it's a quick watch, and it is very rewatchable because I've watched each episode probably two or three times. They're hilarious. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And <laughs> until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, Stacey. Bye. Um, hey. So thank you so much, guys, for joining me. This was so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> Of course, mm-hmm. this was great. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Um-